For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, sir. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we're going to the dentist. <laughs> we, well, I think the dentist is coming to us this time. That, that sounds actually more pleasant than how I framed it originally. Uh, yes. We're no traumatic, no, no trauma for you, Dan. <laughs> no you don't have to relive anything. Uh, the dentists are coming to us, indeed. Warren and Jason Redder of Redder Dent Dental Care are going to be with us. And uh, later in the program, we're going to talk about uh, family businesses and transitioning. And um, uh, Peter Moretis will be joining us to talk about that on the program. And I thought um, uh, we would start, Josh, on that note, actually. And I don't have an advice question to start this week because things are all right. I got no, no work stress today in particular for some reason. For a, for a Monday, that's <laughs> not so bad. It's pretty rare. But uh, I did marathon the show Succession over the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, I'm midway through the second season now, and uh, perfect timing to talk about Succession tonight on the program. It's literally one of the most popular shows on TV right now, and I would say one of the smartest as well. So you got to check it out, but basically it, invo it involves this, this media company, this family, and it's the dad who's obviously going to retire soon, and then the three siblings, four siblings, I think, are going to fight over her, fight over the job to see who takes over. And so right now, um, because there's so much uh, doubt about what the succession plan is or who the successor is going to be, uh, there is nervousness among the investors. There is uh, rebelling, rebelling among the employees. Uh, there are in, there's infighting and power grabbing among the senior executives. What happens uh, if the leader just sounds, doesn't sounds know? Sounds like every other day, you right? Know. <laughs> this we've we've talked about these scenarios before, and it's it's really interesting to see them on a, on a fun TV show. But uh, what are some of the consequences if if a if a if a, if a succession plan isn't uh, isn't uh, in place with a family business like this? The business could fail, or yeah. it can go in the wrong direction, or people could lose a lot of money, or all of the above. Uh, there, there's so much that has to be taken into consideration, and I actually haven't seen the program. It would be interesting to see, but definitely uh, have lived many of those circumstances uh, over time uh, with many family businesses, with even businesses without family, but that have those senior executives that feel like their family or have been portrayed to be part of the group and part of the succession. Yeah, but you got a plan, you know, and if there's no plan and there's no communication, because starts middles and ends with communication, uh, you know, if there's no real communication and properly delivered, know your audience. Because you don't want you don't want people to feel threatened. You want them to feel included, uh, but they also need to have enough knowledge to be able to help make the decision. There's so many aspects. Are you talking to somebody that's been in the business for 20 years or two years? Are you talking about the you know the next generation that is is has been there and working for a long time, or are you talking about the next generation that just started? There a sense of entitlement is there, there there's so many aspects that come into play uh it, it can be absolutely very hairy and it wouldn't surprise me if succession went on for another 10 seasons because there's <laughs> there's so many things that can that, that can that can go well and so many things that can go sideways uh and if there's no communication then you know 
Not so good. In this case, the the kids are all kind of screw-ups in their own special way. And so now the debate is, well, do we go to an outside source and maybe find a CEO or someone from outside the family? Uh, how, how would you? What would advice would you give to the Roy family of succession if you're if you're gonna bring in this outside influence, but navigating all these complicated family matters? Well, for all those PhD kids, i.e., the Papa has dough. <laughs> um, you know, they, there's the, the the goal at the end of the day is to maximize value for the family. Mm. You know, that should be the goal. It, it's yes, you may step on some egos, and ego is a four letter word in many families. The goal is to maximize the value at the end of the day because no kid wants to be left with zero or yeah. next to it. They want to have their trust funds or or forget trust funds. They want to have enough to live out their life relatively comfortably or at least enough to, to live and survive and don't have to be on the street. And if the best solution is parachuting in an outside party that has better knowledge and a better track record or a track record and knows how to work things and that's in the best interest of the family as a whole, well, then that should be what happens. But as we all know, humans are humans, egos are egos, and families are families. And sometimes they don't mix so well together. All right. If you want to check it out, Succession is on the HBO Canada and Crave. Uh, oh, this is interesting. Investors pouring billions into prop tech. So first, what is prop tech? Property technology, like we've spoken a lot about fintech, you know, you you know, there's the all the the apps online that you know to help uh, save money and and invest your funds and all that. Prop tech is is exactly the you know the Airbnbs of the world. Uh, that that's a prop tech, and there's a lot of money that going into it. I mean, uh, Open Door buys homes directly from sellers in exchange for cash, and you know they you know there's 300 million that went into that. You have Compass that uh, that hosts real estate listing, listings on uh, on an easy to use online platform. There's almost 400 million that went into that. Uh, you have Nextdoor that keeps people up to date on events in their neighborhood. There was uh, you know about 170 million that went into that. So there's so many aspects about that touches real estate. So that's the prop tech, the property technology that's out there. And we haven't you know we've seen a lot of it, but I'm sure there's a lot more to come. Uh, as you as you talk about communities and real estate and I mean not block parties necessarily but maybe a little bit of that too I think this next uh, topic may have come up on a recent show but it's interesting uh, from entrepreneur.com how a VC wants to be pitched so how does a venture capital firm want to be pitched versus say a bank well uh, you know I think the, the bank really needs its numbers they have to make the story but they also have to believe in who's behind it the VC uh, is really buying into a story they, they're buying into an experience. Make the pitch an experience. Make the pitch something that, you know, that the, the ultimate consumer just needs to be a part of. Uh, use imagery. Show image. You know, just talking about it and showing numbers isn't necessarily what the VC will get connected to. Yes, important at the end of the day, but use the imagery. Use the pictures. Uh, certainly be open to questions, but that's kind of a given. I would say also be keep things pretty concise. If you ramble on too much, uh, you, you might lose you might lose that the interest of that VC uh, or anybody for that matter. Um, and I guess always have enough of your own backstory. Always have enough of your experience that comes into play because not only they're buying into a story of what the next great product or service is, but they're buying into you or they're buying into the management team or the talent that's behind it. So always have that backstory as to why and have that part of their experience as well so they get to understand more. From Inc.com, top three things you should have a recruiter help you with. And this one, 
you know, it, it's less about the top three things you can have a recruiter help you with and more about using outside parties. I was reading this article and yes, you know, it, it basically says hire a third party outsource for the things that you don't do well and keep what you do do well. And I think that's the crux behind this, regardless whether it's a human resource, whether it's another professional, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's really, if you can do it really well and it doesn't take up time or there's no opportunity cost for you doing it, well then do it because you know yourself and your product and your culture and your service the best. But if you don't know what you're doing, leave it to the expert. Don't waste your time. Don't spin your wheels. There's an opportunity cost for you for you taking that time and effort and energy, and it won't necessarily pan out. So while the article talks specifically about human resources and recruiting, I say it really applies to any third party, any any outsourced person. Do what you do well, hire what you don't do well, and make sure you don't lose that opportunity cost. Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800. We're not going to the dentist, but we'll have dentists come to us next and talk about the business of dental care with Warren and Jason Redder of Rent Redder Dental Care, and they are next. Welcome back to you to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we welcome a father and son team, Warren and Jason Redder of Redder Dental Care. Welcome, guys. Hi, thanks Hi. for having us. Thanks for coming. And the toughest question of the week, very first question that we ask. And while everybody or a lot of people should have a good understanding what a dental practice does, we will ask you, what is Redder Dental Care? What do you guys do specifically? We practice dentistry. It's me and Jason. <laughs> As he says with a smile, showing <laughs> off the pearly whites. And Lindsay. And uh, actually, Redder Dental Care got named when Jason joined the practice before it was just Dr. One Redder. And now we're Redder Dental Care. And is it all the typical services? Like, uh, do you do any, like, is there basic? Like, maybe you can just describe all the services that kind of come into play. Well, we, we do basic dentistry. Jason does a lot of implants, a lot of surgery. We do tons of cosmetics. I've been doing cosmetics dentistry for almost 40 years. And a lot of Crown and Bridge. We we're, we're basically do all kinds of dentistry. And we do what we, what we do, what we like to do best. And what we, and what we can produce best. Maybe it's easier to ask what you don't do because it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that happens under one roof. What don't you really do as a dental practice? So we, uh, we don't do orthodontics. We don't straighten teeth. Um, we're pretty much, we do a lot of the other fields of the other disciplines of dentistry. Um, I would say that's the only one we pretty much uh, refer out about 100% of the time. Otherwise, I mean, uh, when I first started out, I... I went on a continuing education binge where I was out of town doing three to four day courses week in, week out for a very, for years. And I mean, that hasn't stopped, but it's, it's less now as, uh, life evolves and, you know, I have a family now and things like that. So I can't just take off all the time, but my wife, hi, Lindsay, uh, hi Jackson, Victoria and Annabelle. I promise I would say hello to them. Um, in any case, I would, uh, I would go around figuring out what I loved. And even when I was a resident, I, I was really turned on to surgery. Um, and so I spent a lot of time studying for that. And I ended up getting two fellowships in implantology. We used to do a lot of that. To answer the question that you asked, um, we basically... So do you specialize do in that specifically? I mean, I'm not a specialist. I'm a general dentist. I do We do cosmetics. I do crown and bridge and stuff like that. But I've taken the time and energy to make sure that I'm practicing at the... Uh, 
the standard of care in implantology, and I do a lot of it. Is it Jason is does it, a lot of the implants of the office. I'd say he does eighty percent of the patients who require implants in the office. He does a great job. Is it is it tough to stay up to date? I mean, there's you know with with whatever's you know occurred over the years, and you certainly go to school for a long time. It, you, is there a lot of professional development that happens throughout the year? Yeah, there always is. We're we're always going to courses. It's it's the only way you can maintain and learn and. And we take our staff. I mean, we took our staff to Vegas uh, for a course. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time. It was a course in dentistry, of course, in Vegas, totally. right? Totally. And, and, and everything that happened in Vegas, we can bring it up. We yeah. can bring it back. <laughs> no, but we, we spend a lot of time in continuing education, and we spend a lot of time with our staff going to continuing education. That's how you maintain a cutting edge in dentistry. I think one of the hardest aspects of dentistry to stay current is to make sure that you know what works and what doesn't work, right? And because there's obviously, you know, we're exposed to marketing like any other industry is and, and trying to sift through um, what has potential, what doesn't, looking at studies, things like that. So um, there's no shortage of, of evolution in the field and you just have to pick and choose. But if you're not staying current and if you're not up to date and if you're not investing in technology, uh, A, it's, it becomes boring. It becomes just a job, right? It's It's really... We're very passionate about what we do. We love it. We wake up in the morning, and I'm always excited to go to work. Um, so let's talk technology. I mean, you, you, you raise it, you know, and technology is certainly, it affects, you know, in all the businesses and entrepreneurs that we've spoken with, Dan, there's, it's rare that it doesn't have some effect. I would imagine certainly in the dental practice, it, it also can have a major effect. What have you done to stay current with technology? And, and, and thinking back, Warren, to 1980 when well, you just started, just you know, and, you, and growing from there. If you would have told me 10 years ago or 15 years ago I'd be doing dentistry like this, I would have told you you're crazy. I mean, basically, we don't take impressions. We, we take digital impressions. We design teeth on computers. We mill the teeth in the office. We stain and glaze them. The patient comes once, one freezing, no temps, and they go home with their teeth. It's, it's just remarkable. I mean, I can tell you a quick story. I had a patient in Florida last year who called me who broke her front tooth. And she says, I'm getting on a plane, I, and I'm, you gotta see me tomorrow. And I said to her, wait a second, didn't we do this with the computer? She said, yes. So I go into the computer, I have the tooth, milled out the tooth, FedExed it her overnight. She got her tooth, got a dentist to put it in in Florida and saved her a flight and saved her money. She didn't have to pay anything. I mean, that's the technology we have. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Uh, so you've been, you just celebrated your 40th class anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, what, what pieces of equipment, what, what's, what's the next big breakthrough in dentistry that you're looking at? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> I, I was just telling a patient today, I don't know what's going to happen next because I can't imagine things. I mean, everything is so accurate that we're doing and done on computers and our treatment planning. I mean, like when Jason does surgery, he used to spend three hours to three, four hours on these, on these surgeries. Now, if he spends 45 minutes to an hour, because before he goes in, it's all done. He knows exactly where he's going. It's, it's all done by a CT scan, which we have in the office as well. There's so much equipment that's out there. How do you choose how do you know which one is the right one how do you know what Jason wants everything use? we have everything <laughs> <laughs> money's no so, object you know I I mean I'm on uh different forums that have like literally about 10,000 dentists on there um and so you can kind of see what other people are doing and and what works what doesn't work it's a pretty open and honest discussion uh that's more for materials that we use for technology as well 
Um, and then obviously you just, you have to look at what's coming down the pipeline as far as lectures, uh, what's being advertised. I would say, you know, you were asking about the future of technology. Uh, things I've heard of is, you know, now when we're doing a crown in-house, uh, we have a milling machine. So essentially we have this ceramic block and we have a machine that cuts this ceramic block down into a tooth. Uh, I think lasers are down the pipeline with that. Um, I think eventually we'll be doing it with lasers, 3D printers. We have a 3D printer in the office. I use it now to, uh, when I plan my surgeries digitally using our 3D x-ray, I have something made on a 3D printer that essentially is worn during surgery. And it just, it makes everything much more precise and you see everything going on beforehand. So it is, it's less surgical time. Often it's less recovery because you know what you're doing, you know what you're getting into. Um, so that's, I think 3d printing, like eventually we'll, once the speed catches up with the technology, we'll probably be 3d printing stuff too, rather than just surgical guys, dental models, things like that. And then like further down the road, I mean, there's research and stem cells and stuff like that. So, I mean, who knows what the potential is for that going down the road. So it's interesting. You're saving a lot of time with, with all the equipment, uh, but the equipment costs something. So is one offset the other so that your rates don't get too affected? Our rates do have not changed because we keep upgrading and new computers and new CT scan. We don't. We don't. Our rates are the same. It costs a lot of money, but um, but you're you're gaining efficiencies. Exactly, efficiency and uh, your your quality of work, and patients are happy. Everyone's happy. And like Jason said, I get up. It's forty years I'm doing this. I get up every morning and I'm happy to go to work. Because so you're working with to, your son. Hang on, Jason. You say the same thing. Getting up to go work with dad. We get along very well. It's a we're pleasure like two working peas with in Jason. a dental pod. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> and we're going to explore that uh, together yeah. in your working relationship uh, when we come back shortly. Warren and Jason Redder of Redder Dental Care on today's Entrepreneur. Coming up, we'll talk about uh, transitioning family businesses. That's all on the way. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and Josh Miller with you. Josh is from FL Montreal, of course. And this evening, we're talking with Warren and Jason Redder of Redder Dental Care. And uh, guys, we're going to talk a bit about uh, marketing, perhaps. Yep. Let's let's go there first. Um, so professionals, I, I this is all I do all day long is I nag professionals. You have to market. You have to do social media. You have to do blogging. You have to do advertising. What do you guys do to get your word uh, to get the word out there? So <clears throat> I think the best way to build a practice, I think, is to build it organically, uh, making sure your patients are happy and, and through word of mouth. But as you alluded to before, uh, the reality these days is that you need to have some sort of media presence. So we, I pretty much started doing social media by myself. Uh, I was the one doing it when, we first, when I first started, uh, which was about 12 years ago. Um, and then it evolved into... A website and now we were, I think we're on version four of our website we also we market online um, I make sure that we're doing SEO keywords stuff like that uh, we work with other professionals um, we do AdWords I said on Google and uh, now we actually have a, a team who works with us where we discuss what we want to talk about and they create uh, social media posts for us and stuff like that is it worth it is it worth it Dan, you're not allowed to answer. <laughs> so, I mean, you, I, I feel the the necessity to have a presence on social media. I mean, it's everywhere. It's it's only going to get bigger. I think the platforms may change. You know, I think uh, for the younger people, it's more on Instagram versus for the uh, older people, it's more Facebook these days. Talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> You're pre-Facebook, Warren. <laughs> Your paper flyers Ouch. on windshields. <laughs> um. Mm. 
nobody walks into the office and says, "Hey, I saw this amazing post on Facebook. I want to and I want to, you know." But it does get them into the funnel going towards our website and then once you get to our website, I think it pretty much makes it very clear what kind of practice we run, things like that. And so, yeah, we definitely get patients that are do not come from other patients who come from the internet, but uh, as far as it worth it, I mean, I think it's necessary. Uh, you know, whether or not I get back the money we spend on ads, let's say per se on Facebook, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know, but it, it but it, it's there and we're doing it and we're committed to it. So. No question. No. So, but that's not the only marketing you do. I mean, there's the, there's community give back. I think you, yeah. you have that. How how does that play into your into, into your well, practice? We're involved. We're involved in a lot of charities and. Couple times a year, we basically close our office for the whole day, and we have all our hygienists. We have our three or four hygienists, Jason, me, and Lindsay. We're working on patients all day with all our assistants. We have we have thirteen girls in our office, and basically we do dentistry for free, okay, for this for these underprivileged people uh, for a whole day, and we bang out a lot of work. Have so, you been doing that for a long time? We, um, uh, we that we've been doing for a couple years now. Um, and the purpose of that wasn't so much like we didn't, I didn't have marketing in mind when I did that. I just, I'm very grateful for, uh, my life, my profession to be able to practice with my father all day. And I really felt like I wanted to give back in some capacity. And so we started talking about it. And the coolest thing about doing the work on people who are unfortunately in a circumstance where they can't afford it, they don't have access to care is that, you know, life changes for everyone. So a lot of these people eventually will get back on their feet and then they come to see us as regular patients, you know? And I had one person who, uh, we work with an agency specifically to screen the patients and just to make sure that when we do have that appointment, that day where we do it, it, it goes smoothly. Uh, I had one girl, one woman who broke her front tooth and she couldn't get a job because she had no front tooth. She was too embarrassed to go get dental care. And then with the technology we have, I made her a brand new front tooth um, on the spot. And then a couple of weeks later, I got an email from her just thanking me so much, you know, for helping her. And she actually got a job. So, I mean, what better validation for what we're doing than that, you know? I think it's great. Oh, it, it feels great doing it. I think a few hockey players could use you. <laughs> uh, I would love to see them. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the hygienists and the other people in your your. Your your care, uh, dental in the dental care clinic. Uh, you're how many altogether approximately now? Thirteen, twelve, twelve, thirteen. 12, 13. I stopped counting. Depending on the day, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they also don't. They don't work full time. So like every time I count, it's depends on the day. Uh, has ha, difficult to find people like you know, or is it constant? Like well, you know, how do you how do you how do you retain your talent? We have we have a right now we have a fantastic team. We have some girls in our office who've been in the office for thirty five years, thirty four years. I mean, me personally, I've had three hygienists in 40 years. They don't leave. We treat them well. Everyone works really hard, but we have a really good team. And one, if you have one bad person, it can ruin the whole team. Have you had that experience? Yes, we have. And then you work out and you interview. I mean, it, it doesn't take a... It's a powerful lesson. Yeah. Because and, as soon as you make the change, it's... And when we look for evident, someone, but... it's really easy for us to find. People know our office, okay? I mean... If we put an ad in that we're looking for someone, we get a lot of calls because it's a Having great said job. that, there, there is, from what I hear, there's a shortage of hygienists. Uh, we have wonderful hygienists. Our whole team is amazing. Hi, guys. I know a lot of you are listening, so thank you so much for all your dedication and hard work. Um, but, you know, we train them, and 
they kind of feed off of us because they know that we're passionate about what we do. And then it, it's really a fun place to work. And so everyone is, I think, grateful ultimately. Um, you know, we it takes a few months them. to get comfortable. Yeah. We do yeah. like team building stuff. Yeah, next we're, Tuesday we're, we're taking the day off and we're taking the girls for lunch. And uh, we're going to do some like sports stuff. Excellent. Well, I ask this question sometimes for people in in, uh, in sensitive businesses. You deal with people that are very stressed out. Have you developed mm-hmm. techniques to, to calm them? What's, what's your advice, and how do you make sure that they leave happy? I think they feed off of you. So you have to make sure that they're, they're confident in you, they trust you, talk to them, make sure you give a really gentle needle, because most of the time <laughs> it's about that. That's the yeah, honest truth. Things don't hurt anymore. Years ago they did. So don't, There's no reason for anything to hurt in the dental office. I mean, it's not comfortable sitting with your mouth open for a couple of hours. But I mean, in terms of pain, I have a stress ball with a picture of my face on it. Sometimes <laughs> I'll give it to patients. And you, you mean you bring it in from home? <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's switch gears a little bit. In just our mm-hmm. last couple of moments, uh, I want to talk about the buying and selling of a dental practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the years, uh, I don't know if you've purchased many practices or 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 maybe you've been, you know been approached to sell. What are some of the things that you would consider? Or what are things that you that you do consider when you're when you're looking to buy a dental practice? Some specific things. I think it comes down to the relationship we have with the clinician because we're obviously at this point. I've I've we've bought a practice together. When I first started out, after about eighteen months, I felt like I was comfortable enough to be able to run my own practice fully. Um, and so, I think about two thousand nine, I ended up buying a practice. Um, I, it, you want the, the transition to be seamless. You want patients to be able to trust you. And so a lot of it comes down to the personality of the dentist that you're purchasing from. Um, you have to make sure that your practice philosophy is the same way. I mean, I, I tend to kind of look at it as like, I leave my family at home and I go to my family at work and that includes, uh, that includes my patients and my team. Um, and so if I see that, then, then I'm willing to start looking at, you know, uh, more financial aspects. It, ha- it has to val- work with our office. Of course. Are you valuing the dentist, the associates, or future business the same today as you used to? Are you is it are you paying in the same way? Is it based on the same based on the the revenue? Is it based on the bottom line? Uh, what do you what do you typically base it on? It's based on revenue. It's based on numbers and revenue, numbers of patients. I mean, when you're buying a practice, but like the practice that Jason's just talking about that we bought. He was after us. He kept calling and calling because he wanted his patients to be properly taken care of, and he he knew that they would fit in perfectly in our office. And he was right. It's a it's a for them it's a legacy issue too, right? They want to make sure that their patients are going somewhere where they're comfortable, and when they see them later on, oh, how's it going? Oh, you're happy, good. You know? And if you've been approached to sell, what would your feelings be about that? We've been approached many times in the last two years. There's corporate dentistry is just trying to buy every big practice in Canada. It's been going on in the States for at least 10 years already. The answer is no, we're not interested. We do our own thing. and So I think there's, it is an interesting market shift. Uh, it's changed the way practices are evaluated and things like that. I, I think for some people, it, it it's a good idea. Um, for us, I enjoy, because when you're doing that, you're essentially just working and then you leave as, as you are as an employee. Um, I like the creative aspect of it. I like the planning. I like the thinking ahead. I like, you know, checking out new technologies and going to courses and stuff like that. And so um, I'm not really willing to kind of hand the, the keys to the operation over to anyone. You like running a business and not just being an employee. It's fun. It's exciting. I mean, it, it's all part of the same passion, you know, so I can't imagine... Not having that. Life as an entrepreneur. Thanks very much. 
And uh, we'll have the one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way from Warren and Jason Redder of Redder Dental Care. And up next, we'll talk about transitioning a family business with Peter Moretis, tax partner at FL. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Josh Miller, uh, for today's entrepreneur. And we have uh, dentists in studio with us, Warren and Jason Redder, and we'll have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up. But first, we welcome back to the show, Peter Moretis, tax partner at FL, to talk about transitioning family businesses. Welcome back, Peter. Thanks, Dan. So, Josh, I mean, we talked, we spoke about Succession earlier in the show. It's we did. You're obsessed with this obsessed. show, Succession. Great show. Glad you guys have caught it as well. Uh, but it is a serious issue, so we have to plan these things out and also present a, a public face that inspires some confidence in uh, in the organization and investors as well. There's no question. There's this is really a quite a long topic, and we only have a few moments to to go through it. And I know, you know, Peter, you deal with this day in, day out, no question, with with clients and passing the torch. But what are, what are the first, maybe some recent items, or what are the first few things that come to mind when we're talking about transitioning to the next generation? So unlike uh, in, succe- in Succession, which is based more on the American U.S. estate rules in the show, uh, in Canada, one of our main pillars or policies in Canada that's advantageous to uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses is the capital gains exemption which is essentially where each individual is able to sell a business and can have a gain of up to $870,000 now and is essentially tax-free. It's there to motivate entrepreneurs to try and uh, have more people try and grow a business and, uh, and sell it. Um, and for a long time now, uh, there's been rules in place that um, do not allow this same capital gains exemption to be available when there's transfers of businesses between family members. So Josh, you were saying like, what do, what is the, one of the things, whenever we see a situation where there's father and son or father and, or mother and daughter um, on a transition is uh, it becomes more expensive uh, when uh, a child wants to purchase uh, a business. How so? Like what, what, are the, what is the difference in the rules? So essentially, um, uh, they'd only be able to be to utilize a capital gains rate. So the capital gains exemption, which makes the capital gain tax-free, is not available. So uh, right now it's $870,000. It's supposed to move up with inflation up to a million dollars. So eventually we're talking about a tax rate of 25% on a million dollars, which is $250,000. Tax savings, potential. Exactly. Uh, and there was one of the good things that came out of the July 2017, which any uh, small business people know where they stopped a lot of the rules on income splitting, uh, was that there was a lot of um, uh, noise in, in the media that came out about this specific issue. And since then, the government uh, and the Liberal Party th- themselves have been saying that they were going to try and address it through, through, through new policy. If you are in a business and there's going to be a transition plan, a family transition plan, is a family trust the way to go to to, to organize that? So um, a family trust is a way that, that we utilize it to be able to multiply the exemption. So to have m- m- many more different family members benefit from this um, tax-free amount of up to 870. But we're still not in a position where um, a, a child can actually um, use a corporation uh, to purchase the shares of, let's say, the the, the founder, um, and the founder uh, get the capital gains exemption on uh, on the proceeds. So um, the family trust might help from an estate planning and maybe growing a business, but in and terms some of some credit approving. Yes, but but in terms of actually getting hands into the 
uh, dollars in the hands of the, the founder um, at a lower tax rate is not currently available. So when you're when but that being said, like you like you mentioned earlier, you can still split if the if the family of the trust has been around a long time, you can still split the the capital gains exemption. You sell to a third party, you can still share that under the right circumstances. Oh, definitely, and that's that's something that from the from the proposals in 2017 that the government actually backed off on because they because there was probably a lot of uh, people that already had these structures in place. And um, but but in a situation like, for example, for example, like the Redders, where uh, Warren like is maybe not going to be in the business forever. He's going to want to maybe retire, although it sounds like he wants to keep working forever <laughs> and hard. But I mean, at some point, like uh, families change and uh, the ability to work is as ma- many change. And when you're not able to get that same benefit, um, when and when especially when we think of how many corporate uh, conglomerates grow and maybe how, how some of these uh, companies end up being swallowed up by by larger companies outside this is like a policy that we actually should uh, thrive to want because it keeps our small business community uh, within the family which have been the ones who run the business um, the, the the best overall um, and actually one of the things is that uh, that I'm a bit worried about is uh, as part of the the budget proposals from the liberals that came out uh, they have always been talking that they were going to revise these rules to allow it to be eligible uh, for small businesses and farmers. And in the recent proposals, they, uh, the budget proposals, they seem to kind of mention the farmers, but they, they've kind of eliminated in their fine print anything about other small businesses. So I'm really curious to Better see... Better headlines. Exactly. Yeah, so no, there's... And, and that can continue to change as each government comes in there's no question about it thanks very much pete uh, i know it's a it's a it's a big topic to uh, to digest in just a short while uh, and as we approach the last moment of the show as we do each week and uh, we look at both generations uh, here in the studio with warren and jason redder uh, we'll ask you guys what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur and we'll respect our elders and start with warren <laughs> thank you um Basically, be passionate of what you do. You have to love what you're doing because if you don't, it's it's just work. For me, it's not work. I, I enjoy what I do, and I think really that's the most important thing to be happy what you're doing, and then life is great because a third of your life is working. Third sleeping, and third's home, but third is, is, is working. I'm glad he said at least a third is home. <laughs> Thanks very much, Warren. And Jason, how about you? What would be your one piece? Uh, believe in yourself. Be relentless in your goals. Work hard. Make sure you're passionate about it. And uh, uphold your morals as you do so. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks very much. Dan, my quick takeaway just before we run away is technology is your friend. And if you can embrace it and invest in it, it will definitely help you. And, you know, we heard that at more at the top of the hour, but uh, definitely something that uh, that entrepreneurs should absolutely embrace going forward. Warren and Jason Redder of Redder Dental Care. Thanks, guys, and congratulations on your 40-plus uh, year practice. Thank you. I smell I, I smell uh, podcasts. Any chance? You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Thank, uh, you, thank very you very much for much. having us. really fun. Thank you, Peter fun. Mredis. It was really enjoyable. Peter Mredis, tax partner at FL as well. Uh, next week, we're sticking with professionals, I believe. We all. are. Next week is a law firm, the Grand Prix Chait. 7 p.m. next Monday night. Don't forget todaysentrepreneur.org for over a decade worth of inspiring entrepreneur, entrepreneur profiles. We'll see you back here next Monday night. Good night.